All right, Trinity Church, good morning. Can we thank the worship team one more time? What a great job. Again, week in and week out, just helping us be able to be preoccupied with Jesus as we gather together for these worship services and appreciate all the work they put in, especially learning and preparing new songs. And so just a great job. And they'll be back before our service is done today. I want to welcome you joining us online. Thank you for being with us today on this first weekend of February, this super weekend of February. Who's rooting for the Chiefs? Two people rooting for the Bucks, even fewer. Perfect. Okay, we got two more. So we've got a draw. We're two for two, and the rest of us don't care. Perfect. Who's excited about Super Bowl food? There we go. A little bit more. Okay, now we know the tone of Trinity Church. All the better. Who cares about the game? If there's good food, I'll be happy. So we're glad you're here with us. We had a great time. Those of you on the grassy knoll, can you hear me? Awesome. Good to see you guys today. I love it. And uh, we had a great time last night at our Super Saturday service. We do it a couple times a year and a great time just spreading out here on the campus as well. So we're so glad you're with us. You join us in another week of a series we call Beckon. Beckon, the God who invites us close. And if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, if you want to make your way there. And as we're learning, what we're seeing is we're seeing Jesus interacting with and today even inviting people close to know him and to know the Father. And specifically today, we're going to see when Jesus interacts with a religious seeker, a person of deep religious faith who is seeking to know, Jesus, who are you? And Jesus is going to share very clearly. And so we're, well, not clearly to him, but we're going to be excited to dive in. If uh, Hilke mentioned earlier today, if you have a phone and you have our app, you can pull up under resources, sermon notes under today's date, and that'll help you track with us and be helpful in the conversation with your home group, as that's often our notes that for our time together uh, with our folks as we meet either online or out back or however we're doing that right now. So I want to encourage you in that. Well, as we gather today and as we kind of consider this passage, I was doing a little bit of math and just trying to figure out a little bit what really the issue is. I think I've read John 3 and Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus many times, but I'm not really sure I understood the gravity of it and how off-putting it was to Nicodemus until this week in my study. I did a Google search and what I put in the, in the um, bar was simply this, privileges that come by being born into the right family. That's what the search was. Privileges that come by being born into the right family. And as expected, article upon article popped up related to the current conversation in our culture about privilege in general. Is it a thing? Is it not? Lots of debate, a lot of argument over that. But what I was drawn to as I was kind of looking through the articles was this reality that Nicodemus where there might be people today who would say, I'm not a person of privilege, Nicodemus would say gladly, I am absolutely a person of privilege because of the family and the country, the lineage I've been born in, and on top of that, the things I have done. See, Nicodemus would be the very first to say, I deserve a unique and special treatment from God because I am of the people of God, and even of the people of God, I'm at the highest point of those who love the law, who appreciate the law, and who keep the law, I'm a Pharisee on top of that. And as a result, I deserve to be in the kingdom. What's going to be so disruptive for Nicodemus today 
is Jesus is going to say, for those who are going to see the kingdom, for those who are going to enter into the kingdom, you're going to need to set aside all the things that you are putting your hope, your trust in, and you need to start over. You need to be born again. And without that, no one enters the kingdom. We're all on an even playing field. And that's going to blow Nicodemus away because he thought just to the contrary. So as we dive in today, that's the tension of the conversation, and that's what Jesus is going to share. Here's our now what statement for this week. Rejoice in what God's Spirit has done by birthing you anew into God's family forever. Rejoice in what God's Spirit has done by birthing you anew into God's family forever. Number one in your notes, Jesus welcomes seekers with grace and truth. Jesus welcomes seekers with grace and truth. We're in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We pick up chapter two or chapter three, right on the heels of chapter two. Last week when we were together, we talked about Jesus clearing the temple. And we saw that chapter two has this powerful example of how Jesus came full of both grace and truth. Grace in the fact that he supernaturally uh, created wine at a wedding out of water And then in the second half of chapter two, he drives out merchants who were taking up shop in the court of the Gentiles where people who were not Jewish by birth had come to worship Yahweh at Passover and they didn't have a place to worship because of the people taking over the space. So we saw Jesus full of grace and truth. At the end of chapter two, it said Jesus stayed in Jerusalem and during that time there that he did more miraculous signs and some from the crowds believed him Nicodemus must have been one of those persons himself would have been in the city of Jerusalem who was inspired, who was interested in who this teacher from Nazareth was because of the things he was doing. He makes reference to that. Now, here's some things we know about him. We know he was a Pharisee, and we have to keep kind of detoxing our mind a little bit about Pharisees because of many of us who've been at church growing up, you sing songs in Sunday school, I don't want to be a Pharisee, kind of not even knowing what you're talking about. You just know that's the bad guy. Well, you have to understand in the first century in the Jewish culture, the Pharisees were the ultimate good guys. They were the guys who were calling everyone to this degree of law keeping. We saw that when John was getting pelted with questions by other religious leaders, most likely the Sadducees, the priests and the scribes, and then the Pharisees jumped in. And a few weeks ago, we talked about them. The Pharisees so deeply wanted to keep the law of God and wanted to help others keep the law of God that if the law was the line of this stage, they actually built in more laws to keep people further back from crossing over, even if they would unintentionally break the law. We want to make sure that never happens. So these guys were the religious elite of the Jewish culture. Some of them had become incredible hypocrites calling other people to obedience to God, but they themselves not. But that's an overstatement to say every Pharisee was that way because I believe Nicodemus was quite different. And we're gonna unpack a little bit more. Now, 
Beyond the idea that he was a Pharisee, John, because John is writing to people like us who don't know Jewish culture, John says he was a part of the Jewish ruling class or group. Well, literally, that's the word Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin. This is a group of 70 men that were the upper crust of the crust. This was the most elite of the people in Israel who knew the former covenant, the Old Testament, literally had it memorized. That's going to be huge today as we talk about the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus. Had it memorized and look at a little bit of even the, the way that they met. They convened every day except festivals and the Sabbath. So on a given normal week, six days a week, the Sanhedrin met together. And, and if you think about it, the Old Testament law would have been primarily in the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books, the Torah of the former covenant. And, and, and before we think, sometimes we think that the law of Israel was primarily or solely spiritual about how people respond vertically to God. And it has a lot of information of how the people were to respond to God, but it has a lot of information of how people were to respond horizontally to one another. It was literally their law, the way they are to conduct themselves vertically and horizontally. So in a sense, Nicodemus is a lawyer, a lawyer. This is what he did. They convened and, and there were lower courts that would judge matters but the Sanhedrin was the power that claimed powers that lesser Jewish courts did not have. And as such, they were the ones to whom all questions of the law were finally put. So this is going to be crucial today in our understanding of the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not Pete off the street just normal dude hanging out in Jerusalem. He is of the upper crust of understanding the former covenant, the then covenant at this point, and knowing it backwards and forwards. That's why Jesus is going to be confounded. Nick, why don't you get it? Because he should have. It was all over the scriptures of the Old Testament. Some make much of the idea that Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night. And I think when you look at it and you think of how early this was, and even what Nicodemus says, we know that you are this unique teacher from God. I don't think it was necessarily necessarily to escape persecution. I just think we don't know. It might have simply been Jesus is busy. The crowds are around him all day long. I just want to have a private conversation that seems to happen best at night. So the only thing, the only conjecture I simply want to put in is none at all and simply say it was what you've heard. It was Nick at night. That's what it was. But there's not necessarily a whole lot of reasons of necessarily all the stealthiness aside from I want to have a private conversation. Now, Nicodemus attributes to Jesus that he is a teacher. And I got to say, that is no small compliment from the teacher of Israel. I mean, when you're a, a Sanhedrin member and you're saying to Jesus, Rabbi, man, that's big stuff. That's a huge sense of acknowledgement that he gives to Jesus in that. And, and by saying that, though, I want you to know he wasn't signifying his belief in Jesus as the Messiah. He's simply saying, you're a unique teacher who's come from God and watch why. Because we know nobody can do the stuff you're doing unless God is with him. Back in the former covenant, were there unique teachers or spokespersons for God who could do supernatural things, who weren't the Messiah? 
They're called Moses. They're called Elijah. They're called Elisha. Sure. There were lots of prophets that God used not only to speak truth, but to do supernatural signs to get people's attention. So that's about the credibility level that Nicodemus is giving to Jesus at this time. And it's interesting, it's that same kind of logic that Jesus will use often when these same religious leaders are gonna come at him over the course of the book of John. He'll just ask the question. I do stuff that people can't do and don't have any, under, any excuse for, explanation for. Who do you think is giving me the power to do this? So it's just a common understanding. There's got to be something up with this. Now, it's interesting, Nicodemus uses interesting language. We know that you come from God. Well, when I read the text pretty simply, it looks like two guys are having a conversation, but one of them is talking about themselves in the first person plural. That's always weird, right? Anytime you have a conversation and it's only with one other person, they start talking about themselves as we, you're a little bit confused. I think it's simply this, that there were others of the Jewish ruling class that were also curious, also interested in who Jesus was. And they're wanting, they, they have come to some conclusions. We think you're legit. To some degree, we believe you're from God. We just want to understand and know more. And that's a beautiful example of what a seeker is. I don't have the full picture. I don't have all the answers, but I'm coming seeking answers. Seeking, I have questions that need to be answered. That we concept will be really important before we're done today. So just remember that when we get to that. Now, Jesus's reply is really interesting to me. It's the kind of reply you would give to a question. Remember, Nicodemus doesn't ask a question. He says, we know you're from God because you do amazing things. And Jesus's reply is almost like an answer. No one can come into the kingdom of God. No one can even see it unless they've been born again. And it begs the question, why does Jesus just cut to the chase? Why does Jesus kind of give an answer to a seeming question when there's no question asked? Could it be because he knew the question that Nicodemus was asking in his head? Or maybe most importantly, he answered the question that Nicodemus should have been asking. Teacher, how do people enter the kingdom of God? Jesus jumps to what Nicodemus wanted to or at least should have been asking in the first place. And just so that we don't miss it today, what I was mentioning at the beginning today of his sense of privilege, Carson, one of the four commentaries I'm using every week in this series, Carson puts it well. He says, predominant religious thought in Jesus's day affirmed that all Jews would be admitted to that kingdom apart from those guilty of deliberate apostasy or extraordinary wickedness. So what we're saying is if you were Jewish, you were both a part of the community of the kingdom, then you were gonna be. That was a no brainer. It says you had to be completely a bad Jewish person to not be aligned with the kingdom. So Nicodemus has that understanding and read on. But here Jesus, here was Jesus telling Nicodemus, a respected and conscientious member, not only of Israel, but of the Sanhedrin, that he cannot enter the kingdom unless he's born again. That's why Nicodemus is gonna flip out. What do you mean? I'm the upper crust. I'm the most elite of all. And you're saying, I can't get in unless I've been born again. It's a phrase that we use in our Christian culture a lot, probably more so. I remember growing up as a kid, more so in the 70s. Have you been born again? That question, it's a good thing to say. It's right from the Bible, right? 
But let's understand, what did Nicodemus hear when Jesus said, you have to be born again? In your notes, that Greek word again, that we translate again, means from above. It means simply repetition again. Or it means from the beginning, like take it from the top. That's kind of what this word means. So what's interesting is some of your Bibles might even have translated, Jesus said, you must be born from above. When you look at that, that's a very common understanding of this Greek word, both born again, born from above. They're not exactly the same, right? Those aren't like synonymous concepts. But what's interesting is I think Jesus uses a little bit of wordplay. I think he means both. Nicodemus sure understands, as we're going to read next, that Jesus meant born again, like you go back into your mom? Like that's nuts. What are you even talking about? He understands it from a very literal sense, physically, born from above. We're going to see in Jesus's explanation, he talks more about being born by, through the Spirit. So to me, there's a good sense that both of the meanings of this concept are what Jesus intended but I really love the way that John Calvin helps us understand by Jesus saying, you must be born again. You must be born from above. Look at the implications in your notes. By the term born again, he means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. Hence, it follows that there is nothing in us that is not defective. That's a powerful statement, one that we're going to amplify even more next week. Number two in your notes, being born again is an act of God's spirit, making you new and making you his. Being born again is an act of God's spirit, making you new and making you his. Reading on in verse four, Nicodemus answers, how can someone be born again when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. You have to catch this. Jesus is confused why Nicodemus is not getting it. What Jesus has just said, you must be born again, Nicodemus responds as though he's never even read the former covenant, as though he's never picked up a Bible before because he gives this, this very literal response back. Jesus, what are you talking about? Going back into your mom, that's crazy talk. Jesus is like, I can't believe you're not tracking with me. And so what he does is he brings up a parallel. He's just said no one can see the kingdom of God unless they've been born again. Now he uses a parallel thought. He says it again, very truly. I tell you again, unless you cannot enter the kingdom unless you've been born of water and of the spirit. So this is really important for us to know this phrase, being born of water and the spirit is a parallel idea to being born again or born from above. So he's gonna amplify it. And what we're going to see in a minute is Jesus has said, you must be born again, born from above. I think one of the reasons Nicodemus doesn't want to hear this is, what do you mean I got to go back to square one? Jesus, I've been living all my life as a privileged Jew. All the work I've been putting into being a Pharisee of the Sanhedrin. And now you're telling me I got to start over. I think it's more than I don't understand. It's I don't want to understand. But Jesus says, let me make it clear. And he's going to say this phrase, water and the spirit. 
Now, I did a lot of commentary work on this phrase this last week, and I can tell you of the four commentaries I read, they all disagree. So this is a challenging concept to understand. I think it's somewhat relatively clear knowing who he's talking to. If he was talking to Pete off the street, I think there'd be a lot of reasons to have conjecture. But again, remember, he's talking to a guy who knows the Old Testament, literally has it memorized. And so when he makes allusion to water in the spirit, Nicodemus should have been picking up on that. So when we talk about this idea of Israel's teacher, I want to simply show, I think what he's alluding to is throughout the former covenant, God's authors of the Old Testament would write often about the need for the the presence of water to both be cleansing and nourishing, as well as the presence of the Spirit that brings revival to God's people. Look at these passages from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. This is literally three verses. Listen to this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Watch this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is one of your favorite passages from the Old Testament because it talks about God is going to bring deep, inner, from the heart kind of change. Rather than being people who are about keeping a law, you're going to be transformed from the inside out. How? By the water and by the spirit. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Catch that. Because you will have the spirit of God, you will be able, you will be moved to live in a way that pleases me. Folks, Ezekiel had, or Nicodemus had Ezekiel 36 memorized. And when Jesus says, you must be born of the water and the spirit, Nick, Open up your scrolls. And if that wasn't enough, the prophet Isaiah said something similar in Isaiah 44. For I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. Watch the second idea. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Look what the water's going to do. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. And then look at the response of the people. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. I will declare it. I will testify. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. I love this phrase. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's. I'm his. He owns me. I'm his property, his possession, and will take the name Israel. This is why Jesus is so confused. Nicodemus, you know Ezekiel 36. Nicodemus, you know Isaiah 44. And when I refer to, you must be born of water and born of the Spirit, You should know this stuff. But there's a blindness. There's a sense of not being able to connect the dots. And it's so important for us in our lives when we think about this idea. God, I want to be paying attention. I want to be learning. This is the value of the word of God. Is that we don't just have one thought in one place, but we have 66 books of understanding to see that God is weaving a story from Genesis to Revelation. And he's doing it for our good, so he is revealing himself to us. Jesus goes on to talk about flesh, and he says, all you can expect from the flesh is simply a fleshly body. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But being born again or born from above is God's spirit who's doing the rebirth 
and birthing you into a whole new realm, a kingdom kind of realm. Now, this idea isn't new for us as readers of the gospel of John. Remember when we were talking in the month of December, looking at the first 18 verses, we saw that John throws out mega themes in just that short amount of space about what he's going to touch on throughout his book. And one of those that we noted was spiritual birth from John 1 verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become how, what? The children of God. Children, and here's the important part for today, children uh, born not of natural descent. Nicodemus, I don't care about your ethnicity. This doesn't matter in the kingdom, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he does something in the original language that we can't see in our English language related to the word you. Right? We talked about this a lot in our our armed spiritual battle series in the summer, that that whole passage is y'all. We've always taken about, I have to put on my personal spiritual armor every day when it's talking to the church. Well, here Jesus is going to shift and he's going to talk about you, but he's saying y'all. Now that's kind of weird. Two guys talking and now he's talking about you plural to Nicodemus. But I think it makes a lot of sense because how did Nicodemus start the conversation? We. So Jesus is saying, I want to be super clear. I'm not just talking to you, the guy standing in front of me, but all the y'all who has the we idea about me. You all need to be born again. You all need to understand. This isn't just something about the guy I'm sitting across from. This is true of everyone you brought to the table today. Everyone is in need of this kind of regeneration. And though it might not have been available to Nicodemus prior to this conversation, the Apostle Paul was going to write much about the Spirit's role in our spiritual rebirthing into the family of God. And it's important for us to note today, it's not just from the Gospel of John, but look at Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Watch this. The spirit testifies. The spirit himself verifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. And then when Paul writes to one of his protégés, the pastor named Titus, he says this in chapter 3, verse 5. He, being God, God saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Just put a pin right in that. Nicodemus believed that's how he was going to be saved. All of the righteous things he'd done as a Pharisee. Not because of that, but because of his mercy. And watch, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by whom? By the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, here it is, we might become heirs, the children of God, having the hope of eternal life. And I hope you caught that in Titus 3, there is that same phrase, pouring out of the Spirit, just like it said in Isaiah chapter 44. Jesus is confused. Why don't you understand this, Nicodemus? This is right from the scriptures that you have embedded in your brain 
Let me connect the dot. Let me bring the application to you. Jesus finishes the concept of talking about wind and spirit. The Greek word pneuma is translated both ways. So again, a little bit more wordplay of what Jesus is talking about for Nicodemus to pick up on. And in it, Carson sums up the idea well. He says, the point is that the wind can be neither controlled nor understood by human beings. But that does not mean that we cannot detect the wind's effects. We hear its sound, watch the swaying grasses, see the clouds scudding by, hide in fear before the worst windstorms. So it is with the spirit. We can neither control him nor understand him, but that does not mean we cannot witness his effects. Where the spirit works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. Finally today, number three, to those reborn, the spirit provides a new understanding of spiritual realities. To those reborn, the spirit provides a new understanding of spiritual realities. Chapter three, verse nine. Nicodemus asked, how can this be? <laughs> you are Israel's teacher, Jesus said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, it's the third time we've seen that phrase. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So all that further explanation, Jesus alluding to Ezekiel and Isaiah, still Nicodemus stuck. How do you go back up into your mom? He just doesn't get it. Jesus goes on to say, Nicodemus, I am doing my best to make this clear to you. How can I begin to talk about significant, deep things, the things that happen in the heavenly kingdom if you don't even understand at the earthly level how you enter into the kingdom? He's confounded. Notice that Jesus changes his voice to match Nicodemus's. These three phrases he says, or a few phrases, we speak, we know, we testify what we have seen, our testimony. So five times, he starts speaking in the first person plural. And I think it's in the same way. It's always funny. You got two guys all by themselves talking about lots of people that they represent. Nicodemus saying, I represent people who are wondering about you too. Jesus says, I represent the Father and the Spirit. And as part of the triune Godhead, I am literally him talking to you. The one that you have been awaiting, looking for century after century, generation after generation. He is sitting in front of you. He shows a deep sense of concern that this Israel's teacher, Nicodemus, can't understand what he would say are the relatively simple things compared to the more complex heavenly things. But he finishes by saying the only one really qualified to talk about both earthly things and heavenly things is the one who's been to both places. And he invokes this phrase about himself, the son of man. Twelve times in John's gospel, Jesus is going to refer to himself as the son of man. And there's so much we could say about that, but more than anything, I just want you to see where that phrase comes from. And when Jesus invokes it with a guy who has the book of Daniel memorized, Nicodemus knows what he's talking about. Daniel 7 verse 13, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me, here's the phrase, was one like a son of man 
coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, a phrase for the Father, for Yahweh, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying, because I'm the one who's been given authority, glory, and sovereign power, I have the right to speak authoritatively about a kingdom, specifically mine. I'm the one who's talking to you today, Nicodemus, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And I want you to see for yourself, just by a, a form of affirmation, what you've come to do today, whether online or online, you've come to be one of those peoples who is adding your voices of praise and glory and affirmation that Jesus is exactly who the Bible tells us he is. And he is the son of man who has been given authority over the kingdom. I love that we get to see ourselves as it were in scripture. There's more to this conversation in John 3 that we're going to leave intentionally for next week. But I do want to finish by saying this. I think at the point of what we've seen, and we're not going to see Nicodemus in this conversation speak again. So we see him say three things. Number one, you, you got to be from God because you do some crazy stuff we can't explain. And then two other times, what? <laughs> He's confused. So we don't walk away from John 3 going, man, Nicodemus gets it. Or man, Nicodemus is ready to follow Jesus. But I wanted you to know today, because of where we're going to go differently a little bit next week, that Nicodemus shows up two more times in this gospel. And I think what happened in this conversation with Jesus, though it looks more confusing than anything, is that there were seeds that were planted that were going to take root and that were going to grow. John chapter 7, verse 48 have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him, him being Jesus? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, they're all morons, there is a curse on them. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, so this is a conversation among the Pharisees or among the Sanhedrin, he asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? Tacitly speaks up on Jesus' behalf. But maybe most impressively, after Jesus' death in John 19, verse 38, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about, about 75 pounds. I think you can make a pretty good case that by the time John's gospel comes to an end that Nicodemus demonstrated some sort of saving faith, some sort of followership in this now crucified Messiah. And the interesting thing is in the people in your relational world who've not yet put their faith in Jesus, it's doubtful they're gonna know the Old Testament to any degree like Nicodemus did. But I wanna remind you that their problem their lack of understanding is the same. In your notes, the people in your world don't need to become better. They need to be made new. They need to be made new by the gospel and by the rebirthing of God's spirit. 
And as you continue to be a person of influence, as you continue to be praying for the people in your relational world, as you continue to be inviting them to things like worship service and other events, just know it's not on your timing, but it's always on the Spirit's. And the Spirit's work that He does uniquely in each and every life. This week, would this be our response? Rejoice in what God's Spirit has done by birthing you anew into God's family forever. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today on this beautiful Sunday in February. Can't believe this is how we get to enjoy February weather. But even more so, we can't believe what you've done for us. Because as we've learned in this passage today, none of us come to the table with some ability to be received by you, with some standing before you that deserves entrance into your kingdom. We all have to start over. We all have to begin anew and be born from above. And so, Father, we thank you not only for the truth of that, but for the way of that that Jesus is the way. What he accomplished, he did for us so that we could be born anew. Not because of our ethnicity, not because of our amazing religiosity, but simply because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross and the empty tomb. If you're here today and you have people in your relational world who haven't yet put their faith in the accomplishment of Jesus, would would you take a minute, the, the person that's heavy on your heart today, would you be praying for them? praying for them that they would respond to these ABCs. And if you're here today and you've never responded to this incredible invitation, you've heard it from Jesus's mouth today, unless you're born again, unless you're born from above, unless you're cleansed and nourished by the water and renewed by the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But I have great news that begins by A, admitting that you're outside the kingdom, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior, B, believing that Jesus is the only Savior available, and see choosing. Choosing to say, Jesus, I put my trust, my confidence, my hope, my belief in you, and I want to live the rest of my life following your example. That is your first step in responding to this incredibly great news, and my prayer today is that you wouldn't leave here until you have. Father, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for the incredible just encouragement and the hope of not only being the children of God, but Father, being your heirs. And as we sing this song, would you reverberate in our spirits today? We are who you say we are. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.